everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol, and I just want to thank you again for tuning back into our series, Israel's Anointing. We are trying to bring you biblical insight into God's heart and purpose for Israel. And today is episode six, Hagar and Ishmael, part one. I want to begin uh, by saying that when we look at a religion from a historical and scholarly perspective, Rather than through a theological or apologetic lens, one of the most important aspects we need to keep in mind is the historical context in which that religion emerges. And so in order to truly understand, especially for Christians, what is taking place in the Middle East, and Israel for that matter, we must lay the foundation of our understanding through a biblical historical context. How did these religions emerge? And what you'll discover It is only through the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, where we can actually trace the lineage of the Jews and the Arab world. And it's the lineage of a family that in many ways was hijacked and corrupted as time marched on, creating this seismic rift we see unfolding today. For the Jews, their lineage is traced through Abraham's son Isaac, which we'll get to in another time while the lineage of the Arab world is traced through his other son, Ishmael, a people called Ishmaelites in your Bible, and a people to whom it appears at some point merged together with descendants from Abraham's third wife, Keturah, bringing the people of Midian, modern-day Saudi Arabia, a people at that time called Midianites, together with the Ishmaelites. And I bring that up because it becomes really important to the overall story of God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. But not only that, how that relationship will be key in the days before Christ's return. We'll see a glimpse of this in a future episode through a particular popular Bible story when God actually brings those three lines of Abraham's three wives together. Now we left off with God cutting covenant with Abram and promising his descendants a territory of land that stretches from Egypt to Iraq. Iraq. But there was a problem. His wife Sarah, through whom this grand promise was to come, was barren. And so Sarah, trying to circumnavigate her barrenness, gives Abram to her bondservant Hagar, an Egyptian, who most likely joined their household when they were in Egypt. Now this was all taking place 10 years after Sarah had been waiting for the promise. So obviously she's growing impatient. Well, Hagar becomes pregnant, and soon Sarah and Abram would find themselves the parents of an Egyptian baby boy named Ishmael, putting Egypt in Abram's bloodline. But not only that, they made Egypt the first among the families of the earth that were to be included in Abram's blessing from God. And I find that very interesting. Now, 13 years after the birth of Ishmael, God appears to Abram another time to confirm yet again the covenant regarding descendants and land. God now establishes the covenant with an immediate, significant, and lasting sign with Abram. First, his name is changed from Abram to Abraham a name which means father of many. His new identity now is based on God's promise. Even his wife's name changed. It's still Sarah, but with a spelling difference at the end. And although it's subtle, it too 
is a new identity based on God's promise. The meaning of her name went from my princess to princess of many. But besides the name change, God also gave a sign for the covenant. And this sign was something that was much more painful. It was a cut in the flesh of their foreskin. Circumcision. And circumcision became the requirement for all men to become part of the community. And any man who did not accept circumcision would be cut off. No pun intended. Abraham and his only son Ishmael at the time, along with the men of the community, were circumcised that very day. And circumcision, although it's an outward sign, actually became an inward reality of a thorough commitment to God. And this is true even for believers in Jesus Christ today, as Paul demands that our hearts be circumcised to God. Romans 2, 25-29. Now, here's what I find really interesting. God could have chosen to exclude Ishmael from this blessing, right? He could have simply waited to give the covenant of circumcision until after Isaac was born, which would only be a year later, or even after Ishmael left the household. But he didn't. It was God's intention to include Ishmael and make him and his descendants partakers of the blessing and covenant of Abraham. The sign in Ishmael's flesh was a sign of belonging. Ishmael belonged to the family of God. Now, Genesis chapter 17 details this event, and I just want to read a little bit of what God says to Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, so we'll cover other aspects of this in another episode. But let me start by saying this, that an everlasting covenant, or to have something be an everlasting possession, means it would last throughout all time. Now, God made this covenant to Abraham, but he also wanted Abraham to hold up his end of the agreement, which is why God says this, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Abram was not only given the promise, but he was expected to keep it on his end, which means to keep was to watch over it to tend to it, to take care of it. Don't miss the importance of that. You see, today, many of us are looking at Israel through the lens of the world, 
But the Jews? They look at it through the lens of God's covenant, with the understanding that now that they are back in this land, this land that was promised to their forefather Abraham through covenant, that they are to still keep up their part of the Abrahamic covenant, to keep that covenant, meaning they too must watch over what God has promised, which was the land and the people. And that's the perspective we need to start seeing it through. As Christians, our support for Israel should have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with how moral or upstanding they are or aren't, politically, socially, or otherwise. Our support for Israel is, in its essence, a recognition that they are in covenant with God and that he calls them the apple of his eye and that he will fulfill his covenant to a believing remnant of his earthly brethren. And so as the church, we need to pray and ask God to give us understanding on this matter. There is so much we don't understand. And in our effort to find answers in the world on this topic, we are risking opening ourselves up to deception. Now, when it comes to the story of Ishmael and Isaac, It's not just the story of Abraham that matters, but of their two mothers. The Bible doesn't say much about Hagar's life before she joined Abram's household, only that she was a slave from Egypt, so she was more than likely sold into Abraham's family. And what we know about Sarah at this point is that she's barren. And in those days, to not be able to conceive a child put a woman at risk of her husband leaving her. And so a maidservant of the Lord would be used to help bring forth descendants, to bring forth heirs, which was in full accord with the practices of those days. Well, when Abraham lay with Hagar and she became pregnant, pride entered her heart. She was pregnant and her mistress Sarah wasn't. And she began to despise her mistress Sarah. And so Sarah, in return, became jealous and angry. And when she confronted her husband on the matter, he told her to deal with Hagar however she wished. So the Bible tells us that Sarah dealt with Hagar harshly. And that word harshly means that Sarah afflicted her, which would have been through harsh and painful treatment. So much so that Hagar fled. Here's Hagar, pregnant, nowhere to go, and fleeing her home. When the Bible says that an angel of the Lord found Hagar in the wilderness by a spring on the way to Shur. And the way to Shur was most likely an ancient caravan route that passed through the wilderness on its way to Egypt. So Hagar was not only running away, she was heading back towards the direction of home. And so what we're beginning to see is the strife and jealousy that's going to unfold between Isaac and Ishmael actually begins with their mothers. Now, it says an angel of the Lord is a wonderful is the one that found her, and that's a wonderful phrase because most times in scripture, an angel of the Lord speaks of God himself revealing himself to people. But it's also interpreted as a pre-incarnate Jesus revealing himself to people. Either way, Hagar was found by God. Now, Hagar's name means flight or forsaken. 
Similarly, in Arabic, it means immigrated. Her name was more than fitting because it foreshadowed her destiny. Up to this point, she had immigrated from Egypt to Canaan, but she also fled Sarah by being forsaken by Abraham. And we do not know how long she was in the wilderness, only that God found her. And then he gave her words to live by. First and foremost, he told her to return to Sarah and submit under her hand. How hard would that be, especially as a slave who ran away from her master? Someone inflicts pain and punishment on you and you're called to go and submit? But how fitting for the angel of the Lord, which was most likely the pre-incarnate Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1, to tell Hagar to submit to pain and punishment. If anyone understood Hagar, it would have been Christ, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth. So the angel of the Lord says, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand, and then continues, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so they shall not be counted for multitude. Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Why was Hagar so important to God? Why was it necessary for he himself, not just an angel or other messenger, to come down to intervene? Well, we'll look at these details in our next episode. But recognize how God is giving us a glimpse into what's to come. God's promise to multiply Hagar's descendants exceedingly is similar to the one given to Abram and Sarah, isn't it? Descendants translates into seed. Not only will Abram and Sarah's seed multiply, but so will Abram's, Abraham's, and Hagar's. And their seed will dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Isaac's seed. Israel. Thank you for tuning in today. We will pick back up here in our next episode. God bless you.